Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we're sitting down with Kelsey Moore of Moore & Co. Again. Yeah. Part two, (laughs) y'all. Very excited. If you have not already tuned in, we did a Fitness 101 episode with Kelsey a couple months ago, and it was phenomenal learned so much. And so we brought her back on to do a part two. So Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you again. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I can't wait. I was genuinely looking forward to it. We had two recordings today. I love recording with all of our guests, but I was also like, we get to hang out with Kelsey again. Like this is, fun. Is, this is fun for us. So thanks for being here. Um, like I said before, if you have not already listened to the kind of part one or fitness 101, highly recommend listening to that, although you will still gain plenty of knowledge just going in cold to this conversation. But we did collect questions ahead of time for Kelsey. So um, first of all, Kelsey, do you want to give people like a really quick rundown of who you are and why this is your passion area for those who might be fresh to you on this episode? And then we'll dive into our questions. Yeah, would love to. So by trade, I'm a strength conditioning coach. I work for Air Force Special Warfare. I live here in North Carolina. Um, I'm also a U.S. Army uh, reservist, and I'm also a military spouse. So I work three different hats on a daily basis, but they all kind of intertwine, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in California. I ran collegiate track and field, ended up joining the ROTC department, um, was able to commission. And then um, because I chose to go into the reserves, I wanted to go be a coach for my regular job. So I got all my certifications, got my master's, and I was afforded some really cool opportunities to work at a couple of Division I universities. And then I've made my way back to the Air Force. And um, I work with some of the most elite airmen that the U.S. Air Force has to offer. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So on the side, um, I just started more in company, you know, this past year. And that really sprouted out of my professional and my personal lives kind of colliding. I had a lot of friends dealing with infertility. I had a lot of family members. I had a lot of health questions. Um, Myself, I was dealing with some negative um, side effects from hormonal birth control. And so that kind of dove me down that major rabbit hole of what that looks like in the internet connection between my professional strength conditioning world and how the regular person lives their life. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I remember this from our first conversation, it's like more and co is ideal. You're coaching people, but you also have programs for people to join. Mm -hmm. And so that's for like the everyday person who's like, listen, I want to understand fitness and Mm -hmm. um, increase my like muscle mass and positively impact my body composition. And then, but you've also got this awesome, like completely BA job where you're like training our elite military. I just think that that's like such a cool, such a cool profession and line that you tow serving both the community as civilians and then also representing and supporting Mm. our military. And I think that's wonderful. Let's jump into the first question here. And and I'm going to kick us off. And it's something that I'm really interested in myself. And that's I think it can be a hot topic. That's why that's why I kind of want to start out with this. I feel like we're going to have to kind of poke at it. Mm. That's weight loss. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like anyone that talks about fitness, I mean, we got January coming around the corner mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of people that are doing their, you know, um, New Year's resolutions. There's going to be people <laughs> that are, 
you know, hearing this, they're like, man, I'm going to be fit. And it's like, well, what's your inspiration to be fit? And oftentimes it's either performance, right? I want I want to do something better mm-hmm. or I want to look different, right? Yeah. And oftentimes looking different has to do with putting on muscle and or losing weight. Mm-hmm. And so let's just jump into weight loss um, a little bit here, maybe from like a broad lens. And then as we kind of talk about it, uh, Kelsey, we can kind of, you know, maybe dive down or drill down into some, some different uh, aspects of weight loss. Sure. Yeah. And this is where I would divide men and women here. And I, that was a really good conversation and topic we talked about on the last podcast, but it Mm -hmm. really comes into play now when we talk about weight loss, because I talked about how men's bodies um, function a little bit differently than women's. Not one is better or worse than the other. They're just different because we're physiologically made differently with different hormones at different levels, different times, different cycles, right? So men operate well under stress, meaning if you give a man um, less calories, less sleep, more work, he will lose the weight. And every woman can attest to that if she's unhappy Mm -hmm. with her body composition, but she looks at her husband and she goes, well, he just can blink at a weight room and he loses, he loses weight, but man, I, I can't. Um, And so I think we anecdotally understand that, but the reality is, is that men can operate under a lot of stress and their body will just trim the fat because um, it's, it's kind of meant to do that. It's meant to work and have high work output and capacity. A woman's body is very different because it does prioritize reproduction. A men's hormonal cycle is a 24-hour cycle, whereas a woman's hormonal cycle in her fertile years is 28 to 35 days. And um, when you're going through those cycles as a woman, it has to understand the body, you know, objectively has to understand that it's safe enough to reproduce first. And how you do Mm. that is you have to eat enough food. You have to be relaxed enough. You have to have the proper recovery and the proper amount of sleep. And once your body's in this quote unquote safe environment where it knows that food is coming, it's okay. We don't need to store these extra calories. We're sleeping. We're recovering. We don't have too much work output that's too hard for us to manage. Then once your body chills out, you know, in the regular like nutrition fitness world, that's called maintenance calories. That's why you go to maintenance calories first, because you have to ramp up your metabolism first. Metabolism, a high metabolism is a sign that you have the proper muscle mass, you have the proper Mm. rest and recovery that you need. And then once you hit those quote unquote maintenance calories, then you can quote unquote start trimming and you start trimming by leveraging your metabolism and leveraging your muscle mass. Now your muscle mass is one of two things that impact your metabolism, especially for women. So one, having more muscle mass will automatically increase your metabolism. And the second thing that impacts metabolism is your body's trust in that food is coming. Because we all know that if you don't eat enough food, your appetite will naturally start to decrease. And that's a result of your metabolism decreasing. Because Primitively speaking, your body doesn't think food's coming, so it can't be burning calories that fast. Mm -hmm. It has to Mm -hmm. slow it down. And so in order to have proper fat loss, not necessarily weight loss, right? We're talking fat loss because we want to leverage that muscle mass. The first thing that I advise women to do is get off the stinking treadmill and you have to strength train because you have Mm -hmm. to leverage your muscle mass. You have to leverage your metabolism. And you combine that with a proper amount of protein and you're properly fueling yourself with carbohydrates because carbohydrates fuel your muscles. Once you get that in place and you understand that, then we can start looking at your overall calories. We can start looking at your overall macronutrient breakdown. But you know, if you just stick yourself on a treadmill and you just go and go and go, 
all your body registers is stress, 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 stress. And it's going to hunker down on those pounds that you really don't want. And you're going in the opposite direction. Mm. Mm. Is there a recommended timeline for when you hit, say you figure out your sweet spot of your maintenance? Mm-hmm. And I guess everyone's going to be different though, because if you're way off balance with your hormones or your stress or whatever. That's kind of the question I was going to ask yeah. is, so let's say I want to get, I want to lose weight and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I know men and women are different. And sure. so, and, and I kind of want to even like touch on both of those, right? I'm going to guess yeah. there's men and women that are going to hear this. For sure. And what are the, what are the key areas I want to prep myself for, for that weight loss, right? Because I, I think mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you say is you could potentially be in a state where weight loss is not, you're not primed for it, mm-hmm. right? hundred percent. Yes. You, you're speaking my language for sure, because people think, you know, especially in in a woman's life where she's maybe concerned about her body image or she's concerned about how her pants fit, the weight loss is just, it's right there in the front of her mind constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. And in order to tell her to lose weight, we're going to need to like set that aside and like go strength train and eat more food, like seems Mm -hmm. insane, but that's really what you need to do. And your timeline question, generally speaking, we need to ramp up your metabolism for about two to three months. And then after those two to three months, you have changed your habits. You have changed how you view food. You have adjusted how you view strength training and cardio. And then from there, you can start ramping up the engine as long as mm. you are fueling properly and as long as you are recovering properly. If you mm. don't, then regardless of how much you're strength training or how much you're running, if you're not fueling or you're not sleeping, your body's going to be in disarray. Mm. Mm, that's good. I also want to add to the weight loss piece. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Um, I like the term body composition because we can talk about losing fat but also gaining muscle. So the number on the scale might not actually change. Mm-hmm. I know that happened to me. And so it's like, is it weight loss or is it increased muscle mass? Is it lowered body fat? And those mm-hmm. things are all exactly what you were saying. So I think it's interesting though. Like, the you will change physically and the dial doesn't move and that's yeah. oh, I, I would say that's mm-hmm. good interesting right? or frustrating i don't depending know. Yeah. yeah and how like your jawline was coming in and, and like you can look at the before and after pictures oh of my gosh 75 totally. hard that for you crazy, Liz. i saw that mm-hmm. on your instagram that was i mean it's wild it's wild yeah. it's wild mm-hmm. yeah so the for those who don't know like i just i just completed 75 hard which is 75 days of every single day two 45 minute workouts you have to eat a certain diet, which for me, I was just focused on protein. You have to drink a gallon of water, take a progress picture, and read 10 pages of a book. It's not a weight loss challenge. It's a self-discipline challenge, which is why I wanted to do it. But I'm going to be really honest and say like I walked into that thinking like, oh, yeah, I bet I'll lose like 10 or 20 pounds at the end of this. I literally thought that. I was like, for sure, I'll have to lose like 10 or 20, 10 or 20. I was like expecting big things. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty average sized, but I was like, yeah, I think I have some extra fat I could lose. This number on the scale didn't budge, Kelsey, like not even a pound. But I'm telling you, I'm so much stronger. Mm -hmm. My body composition is so different. My clothes do definitely fit different. And I can see that. I can see muscle definition in my arms. I'm freaking jacked now. It's awesome. But like, I do wonder now that you say the two to three month thing, that was about three months of I hit Mm -hmm. a maintenance. My goal for a while I was actually eating more because I was strength training almost every day. I didn't do it Mm -hmm. seven days a week, but I at least 
did some workouts. Plus your output was huge. So My output was huge. Mm-hmm. I think I turned on my metabolism for the first time, like probably since I had Ray. Do you know what I mean? So in three years. Mm-hmm. And then now I've even wondered, like now that I'm not in 75 hard and I'm working out um, probably four or five times a week and not seven days a week, I do wonder if I'll see any adjustment or any further trimming of fat because I think I still probably have some fat I could lose or any further gaining of muscle. I don't know. It'll be an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. But for me, that was huge to say the number on the scale didn't change, but I definitely changed body composition-wise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's – I mean, it's a tough place because what do what's the metric that you use in any I know. traditional medical system? You use BMI, which is just height yeah. and weight, right? It's mm-hmm. a ratio. So of course, not the average person is going to be privy to the other ways you can track, maybe besides progress pictures, which is the best way to do it, um, mm-hmm. keep that a little bit more. It's not necessarily subjective because you're not really using your opinion on it, but you can at least see the differences and that's really motivating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally agree. You know, It's so much more about the metabolism and as you continue you have remember last time when we talked about strength training, it takes about eight weeks for your body to kind of get used to it. Think yeah. about your 75 hard, right? You stuck to it for over eight weeks. And when you did that, your body neurologically rewired and it now mm-hmm. is very efficient, sending signals to all of your muscles. And now this is the time where you can crank your engine. Again, as long as you're fueling, as long as you're sleeping. You can crank your engine in regards to your metabolism and your muscle mass. Man, you can leverage that. Like when I say Mm. women can be incredibly strong and resilient, this is where you dial that in. Whereas Mm. 90% of the population of women in this country are like 20 steps behind the start line, you know? And when you started 75 hard, you already kind of had a great starting place because you were eating nourishing food. You knew how to recover well. You had um, your habits in place. You had your priorities Mm -hmm. in check. All these things were ready. And so when you did 75 hard, you had great success because Mm -hmm. you had that starting place originally set up for you. Mm -hmm. So weight loss for women, it sounds like there's a slow down to speed up sort of methodology Mm -hmm. kind of going on there. Um, Anything else? So people, people are listening to this like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to lose weight. What what are some, for for women specifically, what are some of the Mm -hmm. things that come to your mind, if anything else? And then I would love to transition into, okay, you're a man out there. And, um, is it the same, is it the same methodology? I think I'm guessing that maybe it's not, but anyways, I'm gonna let you Kelsey talk anything else on the, on the women's side. And then, and then let's talk about what it looks like to lose weight for men. Because we just clarified that body composition improves with increased muscle mass. The only way that you are, you will increase your muscle mass is through the proper amount of protein intake and strength training. So Mm. those are the two things that women have to have to have to, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your experience level is. You have to increase your muscle mass and that's how you do it. You have to eat at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight every single day and strength train at least three days a week where you're really challenging the weights that you're using and you're increasing your muscle mass. You're not going to become, you know, a bodybuilder necessarily unless you try. Women get really nervous on how they look, but I guarantee you, you're going to be so confident with how you look and how you're clothes fit and how you walk in a room because when you challenge that in your life, you you look at the world in a totally different light when you know you've done really difficult things, especially maybe by yourself or just within your own decisions, right? You can mm-hmm. walk into a room into a setting very differently. Um, mm-hmm. So 
protein intake and strength training for women specifically are so important. For men, you know, I'm not going to say those two things that I just said aren't important for men. Of course they are. But I'm just saying men can leverage a little bit more cardio. Men um, have a reset of their testosterone every 24 hours. So they can pretty much destroy themselves in a day. And as long as they Mm. eat and sleep, they can wake up and do it again and again and again and again. So you can kind of string those days together more as a guy, whereas women, we do have maybe some more ebbs and flows that we need to work with, which we can transition into that cycle syncing conversation later. But for men, you can absolutely crank up your cardiovascular training. Most men see a lot of success with running more or with, you know, getting on the, the treadmill or a, a bike erg, a ski erg, something like that, a rowing erg. Um, and they see a lot of success with that. And I say the same thing for guys. Your muscle mass will only stay there while you're trimming if you're eating enough protein and your strength training. So while you're trying to lose more fat mass, you still have to strength train in order to keep your, the physique that you want and mm-hmm. keep your protein there. Yeah. Outstanding. Um, and maybe I'm bouncing out a little bit too much. So stop me if I am. But I, I as, a, as a man that doesn't know about this, or at least is learning today, uh, to, what, what is this 24-hour cycle and like, what, what does that mean? I, you, you said your testosterone resets. Just curious yeah. uh, of what, what all you know about that so I can know about that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so a man's testosterone should be the highest in the morning and should be the lowest in the evening. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm very careful of how I phrase this, but I hope us through the camera, we understand what we're saying. But when I say a man's testosterone in, should be the highest in the morning, a man should understand what that means. Okay. Understood. Okay, Understood. You. If you don't know what that means, then just dig in the weeds. You can figure it out. Okay. But that is a sure sign that your testosterone is the highest in the morning. If that's not happening consistently, then that is a sign that that, that needs to be checked out. So testosterone resets every 24 hours. You wake up, you should feel the most motivated, the most energetic. Um, you know, everyone's a night owl, morning uh, bird. Is that what it's called? Morning bird? Morning. I think so. Morning bird. Yeah. Morning bird gets the worm. Early, Early bird. bird. Early bird. <laughs> Morning bird. Morning dove, maybe? I don't know. Early Anyhow. bird. Early bird Early. night owl. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what I mean. I do. Um, your sleep cycles will be in effect there. However, generally speaking, um, your testosterone for a guy is your most anabolic hormone, meaning your hormone that rebuilds and repairs. So mm. if you sleep well at night, you should be in a state of rebuilding and repairing when you wake up. Now, if the number one thing that impacts testosterone in the morning is going to be alcohol, um, that's been studied and studied and studied that you could have the, you could be, you know, the strongest, most quote unquote masculine guy. But if you consume a ton of alcohol regularly, your testosterone will be very low in the morning. And so you're already starting the day and in disrepair. Mm. Wow. That's where that is kind of accumulated is when guys drink a lot of alcohol. You'll start to see is it just a suppressive or is it like, is it destructive? Like what's the, what, what's happening there? Well, alcohol is a poison to your body, right? And because testosterone is an anabolic hormone, wants to rebuild and repair, your body is too busy trying to excrete the poison from your body. Mm. It's saying, we don't have time to rebuild and repair. We got other things going on. Mm. There's alcohol in our system. We got to get rid of that. And it's saying, no, 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 we, we don't have time to rebuild and repair. Um, and so that's why it will, you know men in their 40s and 50s start to see a decline because they've worked for 
20, 25 years at that point, and through the use of um, alcohol consistently or through um, not sleeping enough because of just life and they work really hard, they start to see a trickle down with their testosterone during those years. Um, but if you manage your sleep and you manage your um, alcohol use, then yes, you should have high testosterone in the morning. And then cortisol, which is your stress response hormone, which is actually meant to be there. It's not bad, but we just mm. chronically overuse it because we don't know how to, you know, have our stress management techniques in place. Then your cortisol for guys generally should be the highest in the afternoon. Then you, you eat, you sleep, your testosterone should be the highest again in the morning. Mm. So, so I could be the most stressed in the afternoon. Is that, <laughs> is that kind of what we're getting at here? Yeah. Like that would make the most sense. That's so interesting. Okay, um, and stop me, please. But I'm going to keep talking because I'm going. interested. Keep going. The, the the next question I have is how does one uh, from with this 24 hour cycle? And I would love to talk about on the women's side. I think I think we're going to go there anyway. So yeah. the, the I'll, I'll let you ask the questions about the women's cycle. You know, I'll give you this one. The 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 how does one maximize their? I guess I guess what I'm asking is when's the best time for me to utilize the high testosterone? Like, should I be working out in the morning? Should I be working out the night because I, there's some kind of like advantage to that? I'm just curious. Is there anything in accordance with that 24-hour cycle that I should be considering in my like daily schedule? That's a good question. I'm sure it's a super highly debated topic. I haven't seen anything specific myself. I know anecdotally people, a lot of guys work out in the morning, a lot of guys work out in the afternoon. I think that question relies heavily or more on um, just like your rhythms of your life. I don't know if one has been studied over the other. I can certainly mm. look that up and get back to you on it if you want to post it at some point. Um, but I think again, consistency beats intensity. So mm. I think as long as you are training every single day in the morning, I think it's fine. Now, if you do switch your training, if you're consistently working out in the morning and then you switch to an afternoon, your body like physiologically will have to adjust to that change. That's why you see professional athletes. Like if they play in the evening, late in the evening, they'll practice late in the evening. Mm. You know, they need that. They need less hindrances. Um, but in regards to like taking advantage of it, I actually don't know the answer to that. So I'll have to get back to you. Right on. on. Mm -hmm. No mm. kidding. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. So let's move into cycle syncing because we have our own cycle. It's not 24 hours for women. Um, yeah. I want to hear all your thoughts on that because this is a mm -hmm. hot topic. Hot topic. Yeah. It is a hot topic because on one end of the spectrum, women say, oh, I feel so seen. I feel so heard. Yes. I don't feel the same every day in which I respond to. Yes. I totally understand. And then on mm -hmm. the other end of the spectrum, you have the performance world saying, well, we can't train like that because what if you have a game? What if you have a game during your luteal phase? Like you got to suck <laughs> it up. And it's like, well, I, <laughs> I worked in college athletics, you know, like I heard it all the time and I'm saying, okay, yes, correct. We can't, there's got to be a middle ground here. Like mm -hmm. we shouldn't be sitting on our, on our buns during our entire luteal phase, just because we know that maybe that's not the best time. I don't want that to become like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're mm -hmm. just taking two weeks off at a time or 10 days off at a time. But I think what we can do to leverage that is we can't just ignore that our hormones do go through a massive fluctuation throughout the 28 to 35 day cycle. 
And you can use that for your advantage. And what that just realistically looks like is let's just let's just say that a woman's cycle is four weeks, just out of simplicity, because it is about 28 days, right? I personally program all of my strength training within four-week cycles. And every four weeks, I take a deload week where you drop the volume, you drop the intensity, so you give your body time to rest and recover. My um, my perfect goal, if I'm just training somebody like one-on-one or writing a one program for them, where I'm not mm-hmm. programming for a group, right? Because if I was programming for a group, like you couldn't really do that because women are on different days of their cycles. But if I'm programming for one woman, yeah, you just shift that deload week to your luteal phase where you know that your your body's going to be already under recovered. You're going to be really hungry. You're going to be super irritable. You're going to feel really bloated. You're going to feel fairly unmotivated. That's just when you take advantage of your deload week. You do that for a couple of days. You habitually um, know that uh, you can make that adjustment and then get back to it during your menstrual phase, right? Which I guess, do you want me to back up and go through the phases? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to need right. reminded on the luteal because okay. it's either before or after and I can't remember. No, it's okay. I should have started with that. Sorry. No, um, I love it. Okay. So we all know that your menstrual cycle starts when you start bleeding. So that's going to be your menstrual phase, which is about five days-ish. Right after that, you go through your follicular phase, which your body thinks that you got pregnant. So it's ramping up all these hormones because- well, your body thinks it's about to be pregnant. And so it's mm-hmm. ramping up all these hormones to release the egg, which is going to be during ovulation. So mm-hmm. during your follicular phase, your follicles are getting ready to release an egg. During ovulation, you will release an egg. You feel amazing during your ovulation phase because, again, primitively, your body wants to get pregnant, right? Then you enter into your luteal phase where it does think that you're pregnant. And so those hormones kind of stay around. And then about five days into your luteal phase, it says, oh, we didn't get pregnant. We need to start getting our uterus ready to shed the lining. And then that's when you have that really trickle down effect during your luteal phase where the second half of it, you start to feel really crummy and then Mm. you bleed again. You start your menstrual Mm -hmm. phase over again. So you may not feel very good when you're on your period, but hormonally speaking, you're actually at your strongest. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. In regards to the amount of power output, right? Mm -hmm. Are you the most resilient in regards to overall stress, uh, like tolerance? No. Meaning that you are already feeling really crummy. You don't need to go for a five mile run, but you can Mm -hmm. certainly go squat, you know, four sets of three at a heavy weight and then be done. Take advantage of that time period in your menstrual phase and during your follicular phase, you can get really strong. You can tolerate a little bit more stress. Your ovulation phase, you can handle the most stress, meaning mm. that you can uh, jog, you can run, you can cycle, you can do a hit class, you can do all these different things. Luteal phase, you're starting to feel kind of crummy again. Maybe hit a, um, a Pilates class, a yoga class. If you want to strength train, put that as your deload week, drop the volume, drop the intensity, then your menstrual phase ramps back up again. So, you know, I am pro cycle syncing. However, I think women use that. Um, they started, they try to step into that first before getting their habits dialed in. And I just say, ditch the cycle syncing until you can get 
your butt in the gym mm. twice a week. And if you can get yourself in the gym twice a week and you can train consistently and you feel comfortable doing so, and you do that for four to six weeks, then start making the adjustments for your cycle. And I said this on another podcast I was on, but it's like, if you didn't cycle sync and you were in your luteal phase when you felt crummy, you'd be like, oh, I'm ditching my program. I feel terrible. Mm. You know? Whereas mm-hmm. when you're on like a cycle syncing program, you can be like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Your follicular phase is coming. Just just mm-hmm. trudge through. You're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so it can give some women some confidence knowing that like I just need to maybe chill out for a couple days and then you can ramp back up. Mm, that's so good because if you start your workout program and you started on the wrong week and you're like, man, this is so much harder than I thought it mm-hmm. was going to be. And it turns out it's just because of the your, this phase of your cycle that you're exactly. on. How Isn't many women have done that? I know. And, and that's where, and that's where women just start ditching their programs because they feel terrible. And yes. I just think if you do lo- deload every four weeks, you're going to be okay. Now, if and when you, you say dial it up, then line it up with your menstrual cycle. Yeah. Okay. And when you say deload, you just mean like bring down the intensity, use intensity less weight. Yeah. Intensity and, and volume. Well, specifically volume, like cut your 60 minute strength training workout to 30 minutes. Oh, Okay. So volume. Yeah. Let me see if I got this right. Menstrual phase, when you're on your period, you might not feel like, because I think that's where like the misconception is like, oh, you just need to snuggle up on the couch and like, don't do anything. But you actually are strong on your period. You're You're strongest on your period. Okay. Fascinating. Why is that? Why are you very strong? I'm just curious. It's like in my brain does make sense. I'm just curious. You think like we're bleeding. I I would. Yeah. Yeah. It's because at the end of your cycle, which is right before your menstrual phase, all of these hormones that actually um, make you a little bit more um, like flexible, a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more, um, how am I going to describe this? All of these hormones that, um, I don't know how else to encompass it, but maybe just like exude femininity. I don't know how mm-hmm. else to explain that. It's like all this old, this holistic, all encompassing. They're at their lowest. And so mm-hmm. your progesterone, your estrogen, all of these hormones, they're at their lowest. So you almost are operating in a less feminine capacity, even though you are bleeding that only women can do. It's a very, mm. does that make sense? Yeah. It's, I, I wish. It's so like higher testosterone. Better. Like, do you have a higher testosterone level when you're on your period? You have your highest testosterone during your, during your ovulation because your body wants okay. to procreate. That's why you have a higher sex drive when you're ovulating uh, okay. as well. Okay. I have heard that. I've heard that when you're on your period, you're, I've heard it described, your hormones mimic that of a male more than any other phase. And how I like how you said it, though, is like all of those hormones that exude femininity are lowest. Mm-hmm. And so we are, quote, strongest. Um, we have the best recovery is what I've heard, and like s- from a s- muscular recovery. And when we say strongest, do we mean like highest like output? Like you can like like, like, like P. Okay, so if I'm going for like a PR, no, well, not you. Uh, I know. I'm saying if a woman's going for a PR, oh, yeah. and and she's on her period, that might actually be a good time to do that. Okay. Wow. See, that would have never. I would have probably said the opposite. Yeah, and me so, too. Uh, that that is extremely extremely interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow. but it's tricky because you know if you try to hit a PR the week before your period, you're going to feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's this it's this tricky game. 
Mm-hmm. It's days. It's a. Mm-hmm. It's such a delicate timeline. It's days. I think I can definitely feel that. I didn't know that cognitively going in, but like I obviously had three periods during seventy five hard, and there were definitely three weeks where it was like this freaking sucks, mm-hmm. or like three four day periods. Sure. And I think it was always right before my period, so that makes total sense that it's like, it's kind of a graph that goes up and then kind of tanks and mm. then goes back up again for sure um fascinating I just, it just hit me while we were talking so we've talked about the i'm not pregnant cycle for working out but curious about pregnancy oh yeah yeah that's uh that's a great question i am not going to claim that i'm the pregnancy expert i'll just put it out there um but women that um have been training and have been strength training can strength train through their pregnancy that is mm-hmm. like, I need to shout that from the rooftops. But what mm-hmm. I mean by that is if you've never strength trained when you're in your first trimester, that is not the time to start strength training, right? Just, be, mm. just because your, your body neurologically like doesn't really know where it is in space. And like, that could be like, I'm not, I'm, I sound a little bit jokingly, but I'm also being serious being like, there's just a risk and a reward with that, that you don't really want to play with, you know, mm-hmm. in the first trimester. But, um, yeah. So when you are pregnant, obviously in your first trimester, you're not going to feel very good. And the priority for that really should not necessarily be work output because you don't really want to be burning more calories. You actually should be eating more food. And it, I've never been pregnant. However, anecdotally and physiologically, we know that women need so much more food during pregnancy and they need more calories, specifically protein. Because protein is used for tissue building and repairing, which is what you're doing when you're, you know, mm growing a child. Um, so instead of worrying about your work output during your first trimester, you should try to continue to keep the same output as you had been, maybe lessen the volume. Again, you can keep the intensity if you feel fine. That's totally Mm -hmm. fine, but maybe lessen the volume and really work on the amount of calories that you're intaking. During um, the second and third trimesters, you know, your pelvic floor really starts to prepare for birth. And so you know, jogging, jumping, running, things like that can be really uncomfortable for a woman's pelvic floor. And so that's just case by case basis. But generally speaking, a woman can train all the way up until birth. It's just at that point, what is comfortable for her and Mm -hmm. what has she been doing in the past? Mm, That's good. That's good advice. Love that. I want to talk about, because throughout this conversation, you've mentioned you can train five, six, seven days a week as long as you're fueling yourself well. So I want to talk about fueling pre-workout and post-workout and just some of your overall food philosophy there. Awesome. So um, what I would say, actually, a lot of women ask me, like, should I do fasted cardio? Like, should I eat before Mm. training? You know, like that's, I can wrap that up into the same conversation. When we're talking strength training, right, you're using your muscles. That's the whole point. You're using carbohydrates when you are strength training. And so you have to be eating carbohydrates in order to strength train. Now, can you strength train on an empty stomach? Yeah, but you're hindering your performance and your your power output Mm -hmm. really um, a lot when you are not eating enough carbohydrates specifically before your your, um, training session. So let's say you are strength training in the morning, then you need to prioritize some carbohydrates before you start training. And you are kind of playing with your digestion at that point. And so maybe consider, you know, a small amount of juice or maybe an apple or um, maybe a little honey. If you're going to have coffee, then maybe have like a butter coffee that has fat in it, but also, you know, maybe put some honey or maple syrup in your coffee as well. So you have carbohydrates available for you while you're training. 
Um, now in the afternoon, a lot of women will train in the evening. You can pretty much bank on if your lunch has carbohydrates in it, then you're fine. You know, you don't mm. really need to specifically, you know, drink orange juice before you train. You can bank on maybe the rice in your lunch is fueling you, which is totally fine. A lot of women ask about fasted cardio. Um, fasted cardio in the morning, you know, women, that's a technique that people talk about for, for fat loss, pros and cons. I think it is an efficient way to lose um, fat mass for men specifically because their body tolerates stress in that way. They can run on an empty stomach. They can run with an empty tank and it's probably going to be okay. Whereas if women are doing that consistently, their cortisol will start spiking um, chronically and that will become a problem. Now, in regards to fasted cardio in the morning, that's a perfect time for you to have maybe a butter coffee where maybe you're not intaking carbohydrates, but maybe you're taking in um, the butter, the MCT oil, and then you're going on like a walk or you're going on a ruck or you're going on a jog where your heart rate stays fairly low. But once your heart rate starts increasing and it's getting really high, it's going to it's going to switch over to um, those metabolic pathways that primarily use carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. um, and then after any training session, you have to prioritize refueling those carbohydrates that you used and a proper amount of protein. So mm -hmm. the easiest way is if you need convenience to have a really big protein shake afterwards, like a two scoop protein shake, which is great. Or if you're about to run into dinner, if you're about to run into lunch, then just make sure you have enough protein or maybe a double portion of protein in your mm. meal after you train. Mm, that's great. <clears throat> and that brings us to our next question, which I know you get a lot, which is, Kelsey, how do you eat that much protein? <laughs> so give us some of your favorite examples of protein intake on a daily basis. Thanks. Yeah. So the first thing I say is, if you're having a hard time taking in that much protein during the day, which it should be one gram per protein, one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So if you weigh 150 pounds and you are happy with your body composition, you should be shooting for 150 pounds, 150 grams, excuse me. Um, the easiest way is just to double the portion of protein in the meals that you are already eating because mm, you don't have good. to buy new groceries. You don't mm -hmm. have to buy new protein powder. You don't have to change your habits. You don't have to change your meals for your kids. You don't have to change anything. You just, instead of eating one hamburger, you're eating two hamburgers, right? It's, it's that easy. Now you do mm -hmm. have to buy more food, but you're not changing your habits necessarily. So that's number one. Number two is you have to leverage your time and money. If you have time, but no money, then you need to, um, you need to um, buy the cheapest ground beef possible and you need to cook it yourself and find the cheapest cuts of meats um, and just kind of leverage that. If you have mm -hmm. no time and a lot of money, then maybe invest in a meal service, mm -hmm. right? You have to pick one or the other, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to hear the answer of I have no time and no money. Then my mm -hmm. answer is, okay, well, you need to change your priorities then because something's out mm -hmm. of whack, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but if you have the money to do so, just do a meal service or buy protein powder, which can be mm -hmm. expensive, but it is the easiest convenience you can have is to keep a bag of protein powder in your car. I have a, a bag of protein powder here at home and I have a bag in my car because I know that if I'm running from place to place, I can always bank on leveraging the amount of protein that I have. Mm. Do you have a favorite brand of protein powder? Yeah. I always recommend Ascent Protein. Ascent Protein, A-S-C-E-N-T. It's a black and yellow bag. That bag is highly regulated and that is the sponsored um, 
protein powder of the USA weightlifting team, Mm. um, which is in the Olympics. So it's highly regulated. It's very clean. It's whey protein isolate, which should be the first ingredient in your protein powder. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has very limited ingredients. Cool. Mm -hmm. We like Mulk, which is so funny. It's like such a different brand from it's like Jocko Willink's brand, Mm -hmm. but it's also um, whey protein isolate. It has monk fruit in it. So it's very low carb. Mm -hmm. which I actually enjoy because I'm usually putting it into raw milk, which has Mm -hmm. plenty of carbs already, about 11 grams per serving. And then um, it's very minimal ingredients, especially depending on which flavor you have. Some have natural flavors, some don't. Mm -hmm. So milk is pretty clean, but I do want to try this. 100%. I wrote it down. Yeah, One, two. So I think those are two kind of good options. And yeah, I mean- We've also done uh, collagen powder. Yeah. What's your take on just dumping collagen powder in? Collagen is fine, but collagen is not considered a complete protein. So mm-hmm. protein itself, you know, breaks down into amino acids. Collagen is a portion of those amino acids, but it's yeah. not all of them. Mm-hmm. So collagen is great, but I wouldn't necessarily count that towards your total protein intake for the day. Mm-hmm. Really smart. I love that. Yeah, that makes sense. What's the next question? Next question. So we're, we're talking about did we already did we already touch on like we're stressed out and we decide to change the way our workout is? No, let's talk about that a little bit. So for context, I was saying how by the way, when I said I was gonna do 75 hard, I got a lot of hate. <laughs> Which is so funny because I like kind of snootily, not snootily, I got frustrated because I was like, yo, when I told you all that Joey was gonna train for a marathon, no one said a freaking thing. And then I say that I'm doing 75 hard. You guys don't even know my plan for working out, but you get freaked out because I say I'm gonna do two 45 minute workouts. And the way I kept explaining it was like, I'm taking a nourished woman's approach. I was very specific in the lifestyle stage I was in. I didn't have small babies. I wasn't like breastfeeding a child. I sleep through the night. I don't typically have kids waking me up. So I took all those things into consideration. I also fuel my body really well with good food. And I had already been pretty active working out. I was just elevating all of those things because I wanted to do a self-discipline challenge. To add to that, I feel like... People get really freaked out by this idea of two 45-minute workouts. And part of me wants to be like, It's not that big of a deal. Is that an hour and a half of activity a day if that's all you're doing? Imagine you have a blue-collar job, right? Yeah. And you are like like a garbage man, mm-hmm. right? You're doing way more than that. And you're doing like an eight, nine-hour shift. That That is eight or nine hours of, of a physical output. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. part of me is kind of like hour and a half a day? It's you know now where that became challenging right from like a discipline perspective was not in the sense that the workouts were so excruciating and that you were just like you know like you know on the floor couldn't get back up no but that man sometimes it's inconvenient yeah it's like dinner time and it's like dude I gotta get a workout in and it's freezing outside or it's raining mm-hmm. or I've had a terrible day the kids are annoying yada yada yes. yada I gotta get a workout in that's where it became really challenging yeah anyhow I just want to put that in there because it's like two 45-minute workouts, people are like, that's way too much. And I'm like, how? No, I'm glad you said that because one thing I realized after going through 75 hard was that um, I had way better energy the more consistent mm-hmm. I was in my movement. So anyways, back to the subject at hand. I went about this thing very intentional. And what I did is I, as I told Kelsey before we signed on, I had some of the most stressful weeks of my entire year. No joke. Not just because of Joey, but during 75 hard, things with our kids, things that I never – just 
just really, really stressful weeks. Like I wake up, my heart is pounding out of my chest. It's like clearly a physical manifestation of anxiety I'm feeling because of the stress in my life. It's not long-term chronic systemic. It was situational and I had to power through. And I knew, listen, I am going through a really stressful time mentally and emotionally, usually work or child or family or husband related. (laughs) But on those days, I was really careful to throttle my level of physical stress. So on those days, I either did two walks as my 45-minute workouts, two rucks. Even sometimes I didn't even wear the weight pack. I would do maybe a walk outside because one of your workouts had to be outdoors. And then I would do a Pilates session for 45 minutes or an hour. And so in that time, I felt like there was so much wiggle room to say, how can I still move my body an hour and a half and also take into my emotional and mental stress so that I'm not stressing my body out in more than one way? So I said all that. And Kelsey was like, yes, that's accurate. Explain to us why that's important for women specifically. And it might already just be reiterating what you already said. But I think just painting that picture for us is really helpful. Yeah. I am so proud of you for listening to that um, Mm -hmm. because you were, again, kind of speaking my language. I always talk about how stress, whether mental or physical stress, your body will respond physiologically the same way. So whether you are yelling at a child because they're doing something Mm -hmm. wrong or whether Mm -hmm. you are fighting a tiger, physiologically speaking, your body responds in the same way. Your adrenaline starts pumping. Your cortisol increases. Your heart rate increases. You get sweaty. You um, start thinking uh, like maybe you're angry. You have um, all of these other systems in place for you to meet that demand. So, you know, that's why when women are have a really stressed job and they're living like this super high intensity life where they, you know, maybe they're type A and they're striving and they are a boss babe on doing their own, you know, things. They're doing a million things. And then mm-hmm. they go and they hit the cycle class. And that's where your body doesn't really know the difference between physical stress and mental stress. So your entire life is consistently stressed. Mm. And that is not the the perfect um, that's not the way to rebuild and repair your system. Your body will break down in order to meet the demand of your life. And you will feel that breaking down at some point if you're living chronically in that. And we call that fight or flight, right? That's your sympathetic nervous system. You should live in that sympathetic nervous system. I call it 1% of your life when Mm -hmm. you are training or when you are maybe in a situation where you have to meet the demand of something nerve wracking and you have to become a mama bear or whatever the case is, right? That's your fight or flight. But if you're living in fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous system, you will not be in a state of rest and digest, feed and breed, which is the other part of your nervous system, right? That's your parasympathetic nervous system. And it's exactly the things that I just said, rest, you'll be able to sleep, digest, your gut will be healthy, uh, feed, uh, rest and digest, feed, you will eat enough food and breed, your fertility will be proper. You will have a proper Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle. So Mm -hmm. you have to live 99% of your life in your parasympathetic where you are regulating the stressors in your life, all encompassing stressors, physical and mental stressors. And then you dip into the sympathetic because you Mm -hmm. want your body to overcome that stressor. And then you go back down and you 
rebuild and repair back in your parasympathetic. So you are feeling that at that point in your life, acutely speaking, you're living in your sympathetic. You're living in your fight or flight for all these different yeah. reasons. And you were like, the worst thing I could do right now is crank on the gas pedal. Hmm. Right. Like, physically speaking, why would I do that? I'm already in, I'm already in disarray. What you yes. need is a protein shake and a nap and you need to go <laughs> rebuild and repair, get back down into your parasympathetic, work on your stress management techniques, not necessarily you specifically, but in general, we have mm -hmm. to learn meditation and prayer and gratitude and getting outside and sunlight and breathing. And we need to live there 99% of the time, not yeah. parasympathetic. Yeah. So the concept of, I need to go for a run and clear my head, that doesn't work. It's good for you. I think it's, it's fine just, it, as long as your heart rate is low. Okay. So like I could go, so in, in, the, in that state, I'm just, just, I really want to know for sure. I'm just so stressed or Elizabeth's so stressed and you know, she married this maniac. So there's just this weirdness going anyways. And she's like, I need to go take a walk and clear my head. That would potentially be a good decision. Yeah. Taking a walk and clearing your head is amazing. I think, I think it only becomes a problem when you live a super stressed life and you're like, I got to clear my head. I'm going to pedal to the metal and yeah, you okay. crank down chronically. That's when mm -hmm. you have a problem. Acutely, you're just doing that once in a while and you need to go like, you know, strength train with some heavy metal, then, you know, go for it. But mm -hmm. chronically speaking, it's probably not the best choice. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Also, I think you should be aware, like I knew that those weeks were few and far between. Like that's why I can say they were the most stressful part of my 2023 is because I don't live like that all the time. I mm -hmm. had extenuating circumstances that led to them. A lot of things were out of my control, a lot of surprises, things that we had to work through. Just it, it was fine, but I just knew I wanted to throttle some of my physical output. And then those three or four days would pass and I would be right up back to where I was, hitting my 45-minute strength, hitting my 45-minute ruck, feeling amazing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, yeah, I just like – yeah, I think there was just a lot that played into that. You also have to recognize like what is your circumstance that you're in this week? Is it related to your cycle? Is it because your husband's out of town? Is it because you had an uncomfortable conversation with someone? Like what are the other factors going in here? And then how does that play into your view of fitness and fueling your body with good food? So I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what else? Do we have another? Are we so we're talking about working out and this is something that I get really excited about. And that's um, like a tire. Oh. And so, you know, so we have a 12-year-old. I almost said 13. She's just... almost 13. <sighs> it's crazy. I know. Anyhow, she created this deal with us that she's going to do 30 days straight of strength training. And she wants us to buy her a fitness outfit. Because I told her, because she's like, will you buy me a new outfit? I said, not until you prove to me that you're actually going to like use it and work on it. I said, I worked out a ton before I bought myself a single pair of anything. So anyhow, let's, let's talk about it. Would love to go through. I, I specifically am interested in shoes for sure, both for lifting, running, et cetera. I want to talk about as much as you know about toe drop and like mm -hmm. what that can do to your, you know, your, your, your feet and your mm. To, uh, having open toe box, these barefoot kind of shoes, should we run barefoot? Those kinds of questions, but also lifting and strength training and uh, what kind of shoes we should wear. But beyond that also, um, is there other apparel that we can use that is actually beneficial and we're not just being taken by the, you know, really cool, like, you know, 
fitness trends. Whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, talk to us about uh, fitness clothing and shoes. Yeah. Well, let's start with shoes because shoes are a big topic because we wear them every day, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple different definitions you could talk about. People talk about like, minimalist shoes, barefoot shoes, zero drop shoes, right? We have to kind of define all of those. So there's a difference between um, a minimalist shoe, like a barefoot shoe, and a zero drop shoe. Those are two different mm-hmm. types of shoes. A barefoot shoe is going to be something that has very minimal cushion and is also zero drop. But mm-hmm. a zero drop shoe does not mean that it has to be a barefoot shoe. I know it's kind of crazy. To think it can about. have a bunch of cushion. You can have a bunch of cushion in a zero drop shoe. Correct. And oh, the, okay. the easiest example brand wise is going to be Ultra, and they are my absolute favorite shoes. Um, those are a zero drop shoe, like Joey said, um, but they have cushion on them. And the advantage of using a zero drop shoe is that what that means is that your toes and your heels are at the same exact height. You could have a ton of cushion. You could have a little, a little bit of cushion, but regardless, your toes and your heels are at the same height. And that is supposed to mimic the ground in regards to your Achilles, your plantar fascia, and your calves. It's in the proper lengthening um, setup of your calves. Whereas a classic typical running shoe, if you're talking about Brooks, you're talking about Sauconies, you're talking about Ons, you're talking about mm-hmm. Nikes, right? These are the biggest running shoe brands. They're going to have a pretty tall and significant heel lift where the heel is higher than your toes. Okay. Hmm. And while that may feel comfortable for people, chronically speaking, that's shortening your Achilles and shortening your calves, which is why a lot of people, if you start running in Nike shoes, they'll get shin splints because that will impact how your calves and your ankles are working because of the heel lift. A barefoot shoe, going back to the beginning, a barefoot shoe just means that it's a zero drop shoe, but it has very no, it has very little cushion, no cushion at all on the ground. And um, while that may be quote unquote, how we should be walking or how humans have walked for a very long time, like, you know, little strappy leather Jesus sandals. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, I shake my head. Correct. That is technically how we should be walking. But because of our modern society and our modern shoe wear, our feet, ankles, and calves are nowhere near ready to be running in that style of shoe. (laughs) So there was a huge trend probably 10 years ago where people were like, minimalist shoes, Mm -hmm. barefoot shoes, let's go. And then they're all broken. They, they just destroyed themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They got shin splints. They got plantar fasciitis. They got all these different things. They blew out their Achilles because their feet were not ready for that. Mm-hmm. So what I say is if you're interested in barefoot shoes or you're interested maybe in zero drop shoes, then maybe um, transition to wearing those shoes one day a week. And then you start wearing your regular running shoes the other days. So you have to slowly get yourself to a zero drop position where your Achilles and your calves are in the proper lengthened position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be just like walking more barefoot. You can wear earth runners. You can wear Vivo barefoots. Like there's so mm-hmm. many different brands that you can wear. Um, and strength training wise, having a zero drop position or maybe even a barefoot position for strength training is awesome. And that's what I recommend. Um, barefoot specifically, knowing how to grip the floor and knowing how mm-hmm. to have a stable position is huge. Whereas people just have probably one pair of workout shoes. Maybe it's a running pair of shoes, you know, and then they're in the weight room and then they're like on a boat. They're like on a chunks of foam and they're, you know, like they're all got their ASICs on. Exactly. Like they're all over the place. Um, So it may be a running shoe, but, and you can probably get by, but if you're actually, actually interested in strength training, you should actually have a more flat, stable shoe. Some of the best brands, in my opinion, um, are always going to be like Vivo Barefoot. I love them. They are 
technically a barefoot shoe. Um, but ultra, they have the ultra solstice, which is kind of like their, um, they're like hybrid shoe. It's kind of a CrossFit shoe, which is a stiffer bottom. It's flat, zero drop, has cushion mm-hmm. though, which is decent. Um, you can also do like a Reebok Nano. Those are really great. Uh, Nike Metcons. Those are great training, strength training shoes. The generally zero drop shoes. And then in regards to running, you know, there is an advantage of having a heel lift. There, there is scientifically and leverage wise and um, biomechanically wise, it's advantageous to have a heel lift. However, chronically speaking, you have to note that if you're not working on your feet and you're not working on the strength of your toes and you're doing toe yoga or you're doing calf raises or you're working on your ankles properly, then your ankles are going to get really stiff because they're not really being used as much because your shoes are being used. Hmm. Why is it advantageous to have a heel lift when you're running? And are we assuming folks are heel striking or toe striking? That's a great question. So it's advantageous to have a heel lift because it's shifting your weight forward. And when you're running, you should have a small and slight forward lean. So it's automatically putting you in that position. That's clearly not the position we want when we're strength training, right? You should be flat footed and your hips should be back, at least when you're squatting or you're deadlifting, right? So it's Mm -hmm. that heel lift is not advantageous in the gym, but it is when you're running. Um, Now, this is a debated topic, but with someone who ran track and I've seen all these different, you know, uh, gait analysis of ultra marathon runners and marathon runners and everything, regardless of your speed, you should be landing on the ball of your foot. Your heels should Mm -hmm. not be touching the ground pretty much at all. And that's Mm -hmm. because our ankles and our Achilles are supposed to take that impact. That is Mm -hmm. correct. Our bony heel is not supposed to take that impact at all. And so, um, the problem that starts happening, especially from a young age with little kids is you put on a super cushiony shoe on a kid they are not, they're not going to know what they're hitting when they're running because mm-hmm. that shoe is taking that force, but you take shoes off of people and their running form immediately corrects itself because mm-hmm. they won't want to heel strike because it actually is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you watch little kids run, they run on their tiptoes. Mm-hmm. They run on the balls of their feet. Mm-hmm. That's, that makes a lot of sense. I started running on the balls of my feet after Joey read some books, which means I read some books because that's how it works in marriage. You mm-hmm. read a book, you tell me about it. I basically have that same knowledge. No, just kidding. But no, it changed everything for me because when Joey was like, your knee shouldn't be taking that, whereas your muscle is built to degrade and build back up. And I was like, oh, my calves should be taking that force. And as you're saying, your Achilles are, mm-hmm. that's what there's for. So I run in my hokas because that's all I have right now, which are probably not a zero drop. I'm assuming that's got a heel lift. But regardless, I'm running. It's I like them because they're cushiony. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I, and I think that's fine. And those those are meant to be long distance running shoes. That's pro- okay, cool. totally fine. Now, are those going to be like the most efficient sprinting shoe? No, <laughs> no. But they're so big. That? Probably not. Exactly. Right. So no. it's okay. It's totally fine. It's not a big deal. You know, what's here's what's interesting. I'm just thinking this is just coming to me right now. So I, I run. I have not been running as much lately. I'm doing probably 10 to 15 miles a week currently. Um, but but um, did did we meet pre or post my first marathon uh, post, but like right after. OK, so I've run a marathon. I've got a couple of races coming up soon that are all very small. So they're not really going to be a factor. However, I've run a lot. I've probably run at this point miles that I've at least tracked, I don't know, let's call it 1600 miles of just like, tr- like road running in the last like year and a in half. the last like year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I run currently 
I, I've done I've done a lot of re- reading books, talking to people like Kelsey, like just people that have been running a lot longer than me. Essentially, I want to be able to run, to perform, and not like be that person that says I don't run anymore because I have bad knees. I don't want that. I don't want to be that person. And so I try to correct my form the best I could. And um, I I've been doing a lot of research on like toe drop, heel, whatever, and toe box. Right, that was that's what I was gonna say. And right now I run in, in ons. I've been running them for a while. I have a six millimeter toe drop is what I have currently, uh, which is as I've been able to find one of the smallest toe drops that I can find. I have not found a lot that are like in that zero to six range, if I'm honest. Maybe Kelsey's going to be like, you're an idiot. They're, they're all over the place. But I have not been able to find them, at least not in, not in the brands that, that I'm aware of. Um, I do know that ultras are zero uh, toe drop and all the friends I've talked to are like, dude, if you go to a zero drop with how many, with how used to you, what you're running right now, you will be suffering. They were like, so what, and I, I just credit to what Kelsey was saying before, which was, man, if you're going to go to a zero drop, integrate slowly, mm-hmm. you know, change, um, yada, yada, which 100% agree. Everything that I've heard and read would, would, would also agree with that. Um, and the curious thing I was going to bring up is that I played and have played a lot more soccer than I've ever run. Right. So I played soccer in college, uh, played some like semi-pro and got to travel on some teams, which was, which was pretty cool and was very serious soccer player for a long time. And cleats, cleats Mm -hmm. are not like ergonomically built. Let me just tell you right now, you are not putting on a pair of cleats and your, your foot is not happy. And my feet are gangly today as a result of, of soccer and not even just running. Running is certainly not helping it, but um, there is, there is definitely no, no, no uh, drop in soccer cleats and there is almost zero cushion primarily because cleats, as I was getting later on in my career, I don't know what they are these days. The, the big thing was to try to make them as light as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the insert that would go into the cleat would be resting on the hard plastic of the of the um, sole of the shoe, mm-hmm. and it would be perforated to try to make it even lighter. Like that oh was how gosh. intense these cleats would be. And so it's just interesting because you run on cleats for a long time, and I just wonder if that would if if I would be even if I would have been more comfortable going starting with a zero drop shoe is all mm-hmm. um, coming from cleats, but but I did not do that, and uh, I regret it a little bit. Hmm. But uh, anyways. Uh, Totally love that. Yeah, my husband uh, played lacrosse in college and he still plays some semi-pro lacrosse here. And Mm. he has like these big hobbit feet. His toe box like needs to be super wide. And that's Mm. always his biggest complaint. And he's like, why don't they make these cleats like more comfortable? Why don't they widen them out? And, you know, I, I think that's just been the way that it's been forever. And nobody's really challenging that. Actually, I think there was one company he found that does his like a wide toe box shoe, but they were like $500 or something. Like oh my insane. God. Cleats oh, are crazy. Wow. Cleats are crazy. crazy. You get top. No. Yeah. You get top yeah. line cleats. People, You're... people complain about it. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then with lifting, you, you'd mentioned um, just so people can really get a good picture, right? Running shoes. These are going to be your cushioned shoes. Mm-hmm. All, all running shoes can be cushioned, whether you have zero toe drop or not. And that, that is something that you can find out like in the detail, like the specs of a shoe. And I would tell people like, go to a, like, go to, if you're curious, like, I don't even know what they're talking about right now. I would go to a, like a fleet feet or like one of these like running shoe stores and like have them put you in different ones so you can feel it when you stand on them. Anyhow, that that would be one way that I would that I would try it out. Lifting shoes, however, are a totally different um, animal 
they, the souls of them, correct me, they they tend to be really like, you said it best. You're like, you don't want to be like on a boat. You don't want to be rocking around. Like if, you, if you're putting a bar on your back to do like squats, mm. you want to be as secure as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So what is your thought on like barefoot lifting? Like literally no shoes. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think for the average person that's starting out lifting, like their weights are going to be pretty light. I think that's totally fine. I think it becomes a problem where like your feet can't maintain that much load and like you're going to feel a little sore the next day within your feet if you just are, you know, maybe an intermediate or advanced lifter and you're just like, let me barefoot lift today. You're probably going to be a little bit sore and a little like achy at the end of the day, but I don't think that's necessarily bad. I wouldn't necessarily advise plyometrics, which are usually a part of strength training. You know, a lot of people will do box jumps or broad jumps or something like that. I probably wouldn't recommend that from the beginning doing um, barefoot just because that's so much impact that your feet aren't just ready for yet. But uh, yeah, a stable base is exactly what you want. And you think about how ticklish your feet are, right? Or you touch like a dog's paws, like they don't want that to be touched. Um, And so if you're training or you put shoes on a little kid from the very beginning, you really don't know where you are in space. It sounds really dramatic, but it's the truth. I mean, you put shoes on a dog and what do they do? Mm-hmm. The dogs do like their little funny dance, right? And we've kind of muted that with our with kids growing up. And we've muted that with ourselves as we're training with shoes on, you know, and I think we can start to um, understand where we are in space. We can understand our balance, our stability, um, and just all of our movement patterns a lot better if we're training barefoot. Um, but I think it might just need a little transition, like you said. I was going to point out that for the average person, like a stable shoe is awesome in advanced and really elite weightlifters. They do use technically weightlifting shoes and those heels are very elevated, very elevated when they squat really? specifically. So if you look hmm. up somebody that's like an Olympic weightlifter, you can look up maybe an examples like Maddie Rogers. She's on the USA weightlifting um, Olympic team. She's amazing. They use Olympic weightlifting shoes where the heel is very, very, very elevated And that's just because it opens up their ankles a little bit better. And it actually is able to make the weight distribution better between their toes and their heels. But that's only because they've been training for so long and they have to take advantage of that last little, last little ounce, last little bit when they're squatting. Whereas for the average person, you probably should be using your entire ankle range of motion and you Mm. shouldn't be relying on weightlifting shoes where your heels are really elevated. Mm. But, um, you know, a simple example is like if someone can't squat very well, then you would elevate their heels with plates. I'm sure you guys have seen that before. Um, and that kind of mimics the weightlifting shoes. But ideally, we should be squatting, deadlifting, lunging, should be able to do that just barefoot. Hmm. That's good. That's outstanding. Yeah, I, I got nothing left on that one. Anything else on shoes and clothes? No. Mm-mm. Oh, right I was going to say for clothes. I don't think we even got into clothes. We can jump into clothes. I really don't want to get like toxic workout clothes for like myself or my daughters. Mm-hmm. Merino wool or like wool-based yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's your opinion? What's your opinion? So good. So good. Um, Merino wool. Um, my favorite brand is Icebreaker. I have a, okay. I have a shirt, a couple shirts from Icebreaker. Um, they're amazing. They're like my, you know, uh, like my future hope to be like a brand deal with is with Icebreaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but merino wool is great. Um, I actually wear merino wool socks when I'm running. It doesn't have to be hot. 
But the great part about merino wool is that it's anti-stink. Um, so you can wear merino wool over and over and over and over and over again, and it won't smell. And it also helps um, with less friction. So if you struggle mm-hmm. with chafing or blisters or something like that, um, it's amazing for that wicking um, part of it. And then also, you know, you should really have like natural fibers um, in regards to like your undergarments and you don't want like those polyesters or plastics on your on your body, like in those areas. And so having hundred percent cotton or organic cotton or wool underwear is a great way to do that. And merino wool, in my opinion, is not itchy at all. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like the wool that you're thinking of, like in a Christmas sweater. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot softer and thinner. Love it. Yeah. I have some merino wool running gear and, um, I just remember like reading about it and like marine, like uh, I was like, what, I, what is a merino? Well, anyways. It's a type of sheep, right? Anyhow, I didn't know. It was, but love them. And she's so right. There's something interesting about it. It You you can shrink merino wool. Yeah. Don't put it in the dryer. Um, and so just, just, uh, you know, word to the masses, but oh yeah, hundred percent agree. Outstanding, outstanding stuff. Love merino wool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say That's my cool. favorite brands are Icebreaker and Smart Wool. Smart wool is mm-hmm. amazing, and you can get both those brands like through REI. Cool, mm-hmm. right on. I love it, Kelsey. Anything else before we uh, before we let you go for a second time? No, um, man. I just thoroughly love these conversations. You know, I was telling you guys before we clicked record, but it's been so cool the past couple of weeks where I'm finding like this super interesting niche of, of people who mm. are connecting with the holistic world. They're connecting with nourishing food but they understand that they still have to move their body and they don't know what that looks like because they know that the classic fitness industry is just not what they want. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. I think there's a lot of problems with it, right? So I love having these conversations because we can talk about the holistic perspective of having to move our bodies. Kind of like you said, right? Like an hour and a half of movement shouldn't be that big of a deal, but in today's world, that's a big deal. I mean, women were like, working fields for hours on end. A lot of women in other countries are still working hours, hours on end. Men are working hours and hours on end. That shouldn't be a big deal. And so I just love that we're finding this common ground together where we can understand how to nourish ourselves, how to exercise and just have um, like a really joy-filled life. Mm, I love that. That be Okay. I have one last question for you off, off of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a conversation the other day um, and it was like, I don't know, this person was saying, I don't know if I want to continue rocking because, you know, I don't like feel it at the workout. And I was like, yeah, I'm with you. But like, I think we can have a combo of high intensity workouts and also, you know, zone two cardio mm-hmm. and it's just good to sweat and move. And in terms of the nourished woman who mm-hmm. wants to move our body, but we also don't want to overdo it, what is the sweet spot? Is there, and I know you've talked about your rhythms of strength training and cardio or zone two, but is there still value in me putting on my rucksack every day, rucking for 45 minutes? If I walk in, I'm like, man, I felt great, but like it wasn't like a hard hitting workout. What's your perspective on how we should balance those movements? Yeah. I think there's a lot that happens psychologically when you push yourself to the edge, right? When mm-hmm. you like are at the end of yourself, there's so much confidence that happens there. And I think we still need to harness that, right? I think mm-hmm. there's a problem when we try to crush ourselves every single day. And I think that I'll just say that that's my blanket answer. You can't do that every single day, but that needs to probably happen at least once a week where you mm-hmm. are dead tired and you put in good work, but you learn so much about yourself. 
And that we do have to harness that. And so a great way, a great balance to do that is you strength train Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can do, you know, an upper primary day, a lower primary day, and a total body day. And then on Tuesday, maybe you do your sprints. That can be sprints at a track or around your neighborhood, or you could be doing sleds. You could put on your rucksack and you sprint for 30 seconds and then you walk for five minutes, you know, something like that, right? Where you're pushing, pushing, pushing. You have to find that intensity. You do. And as someone who's naturally incredibly intense, I cannot imagine a life where I didn't learn that about myself. Mm. You know, like that's what gives me the confidence walking into rooms or having the current job that I do have. It's because I know what it's like when you've been there, you know, when you'd become a different person because you've pushed yourself to the limit. And you have to do that. So I think Tuesdays are a great day to do that. You push yourself. Your heart rate is super high. Maybe you find that little pukey zone in yourself. It's great. But you do it once a week. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Thursdays, Thursdays, maybe you do a non-impact cardio version, right? Maybe you swim on Thursdays. Your heart rate stays generally low, but you're going for maybe 45 to 60 minutes. You ruck on Thursdays, right? You pick something. Maybe you hike with your kids. You find a new trail. And then on Saturdays, that's when you can do your super long, low and slow. And if you're a runner, that can be your big mileage day where your heart rate stays low. You're learning how to refuel. You're learning what clothes work for you. You're learning, you're learning your routes. You're getting outside. Um, and I think that's a great balance, a really great balance. If you feel like that's still not enough, great way to add that in is just to add in like a 10-minute um, finisher at the end. I do that a lot. You know, I lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But at the end of my Friday workouts, I do a 10-minute finisher where I just, I crush myself. For, but it's 10 minutes. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll mm -hmm. all be okay. But mm -hmm. I'm not crushing myself for 45 minutes. That's mm -hmm. a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm doing burpee box jump overs. Maybe I'm snatching and I'm running and I'm shuttle running and I'm sledding. Like, I'm doing all these hard, difficult things. Maybe I'm carrying sandbags, stuff like that. But it's only 10 minutes. And I guarantee yeah. you if I refuel and I recover afterwards, I'll be okay. But I can't mm. do that every single day for 45, 60 minutes. That's when your body starts to break down. So mm. that's my personal um, opinion on just balancing it out because I do think the intensity is important, but not every single day. Mm -hmm. that, that's mm. where we start to see some chronic stress happen. That's so good. I'm glad I asked and Sometimes that. intensity kind of keeps it spicy. Keeps it fresh. You know what I'm saying? You know. Oh, yeah. it's, if you do like a, a low, you know, low zone run every single day, that's boring. you're eventually like, yo, I hate this. I got get, I got, then you go out there and you're like ripping, right? I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I was pretty dang sore after we did that eight mile, 15, 14 minute ish pace when yeah. we were rucking together virtually. Yeah. At the very end of my 75 hard, we, uh, we put a little cherry on top and we did that workout together. I was sore after that. The next day I was like, my buns, I'm feeling that because yeah. I am on an incline. I have a slight oh, yeah. hill. That I'm going up and down. And I was hitting in the first five miles, I was hitting close to 14-minute pace. Then the last three miles, I was like right at that 15-minute mark. Mm -hmm. But that was so fun. Thank you again for doing that with me. That I'm was so blessed that we did it. I mean, genuinely speaking, like I was so proud of you and the fact that you like walked in and like Sophie was doing um, like oh a gosh. strength workout. I'm like, this is amazing. This is why we do this, you know? I know. And like, first of all, your walking pace is so fast. I just have to put that out there. I know I said that to you like – 10 times when we were doing it, but I'm, I was just blown away. It is fast. You weren't running and you were walking yeah, no, at the pace. I was fast. walking. Um, yeah. But man, like that's the whole point of why you did 75 hard. You pushed yourself. You found yourself at the limit of yourself, whether that's mm -hmm. just with your schedule or with your family and how they had to accommodate you during that time. But you learned so much about yourself because you put your head down and you did it. And that's amazing. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think 
you know, even you choosing to do it puts kind of a target on your back because people then feel insecure about themselves. But the Mm -hmm. fact that you finished it, I mean, my Mm -hmm. goodness, that's, that's an incredible accomplishment, you know? And I think that's incredible, incredible that you did that. And so I just want to like on the air, give you the, give you the kudos. It's incredible. Thank you. It was, I learned a lot for sure. We're, I think we're going to do a full episode of <laughs> what we learned as a family. Oh, you should. I've been waiting Flesh. for it. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I yeah. want to hear about it. Uh, it it exposed some the weak good, points. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It exposed some weak points for sure. It was great. But I, I learned a lot about myself. Kelsey, most of these people listening to this should already be following you or know who you are or where to find you. But in case there are some slow, uh, slow adopters, where can folks find you? How can they get in touch? Uh, give us the details. So Instagram is where I show most of my life and most of my business, my day-to-day. Um, my Instagram is Co. so H-E-Y-Y-O, and then Morinco. Um, And then that's the same uh, URL for my website too, where I have workout memberships, consultations, and I'm taking on some clients again in the beginning of January with like a new group coaching style class. So yeah, you can just check me out there. And uh, I do all sorts of all sorts of things on my Instagram, so I love it. Love having people. We love it. That's awesome. Definitely go hit up Kelsey on Instagram. And um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. And yeah, look forward to hanging out and talking the next time. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks Kelsey. so much for everything. We'll talk soon. And with that, Kelsey Moore has left the virtual chat once again. Can you believe it? Uh, we just talked for like another 30 minutes off air. So. That's why I'm, that's why I'm like stumbling right now. Cause I was like, what did we just talk? You know, I'm going we back just... to my notes. Like what, what was it? It's a crazy conversation. Love hanging out with Kelsey. Um, we definitely got off air and just chatted for like another 30 minutes. Yeah. So can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> um, fantastic episode. Once again, a uh, couple things I want to plug. One, if you listen to this episode and you're like, this is great information, but like, how do I tangibly like put this into action? Kelsey's got you hooked up. She mm-hmm. I, she didn't even really plug her own kind of coaching business and consulting. So I'll do that for her right now. You can sign up. And I went through the consulting process with her. I'm going to do the like, I think it's 20s and 30s, thriving in your 20s and 30s, where it's a lot of um, dumbbell work. She also has barbell class things where she'll like write your whole program for you. Mm-hmm. You have a program that you do. I do. I do. So talk to us about that. So my, so essentially the way it worked for me was she reached out to me and was like, Hey, like, let me help you drop, drop a program. Cause she and saw you were failing by yourself. 100%. <laughs> and I was like, like, I can make this better. Save me. And she said, well, what are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to do talk to her about kind of the things that I strive to do the time I have available. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and she built it out for me. So essentially, I'm, I've got like four to five days running a week, uh-huh. and three lifts a week. Mm-hmm. And then each lift, each day is separated out. So one, it's like let's let's call it Monday lift, is day one lift, and it's got different movements and a run that day. Mm-hmm. Next day is just a run. Day after that is let's call it sprints and um, lifting. And then the next day could be rest day. The day after that would be. Um, lift and you know that's it Mm -hmm. and then the the two days after that could be long run and kind of recovery run Mm. so So tailored specifically to your needs your time your goals 100 and right my my goals are become a better runner yeah and so a lot of a lot of uh, mobility work a lot of uh, working different lower body muscles and core 
Um, definitely some upper body in there too, but I'm not, I'm not walking in the gym and just doing curls all day long. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. So shout out to that. Go check her out. Um, ask questions, jump on a consult with her. She is your girl to hook you up. She's going to be kind and compassionate and understand where you're coming from, but she's also so, um, I want to just say smart as a whip. What's the, de- what's the expression? Quick as a whip? I don't know. She's, she's on it. Okay? Sharp as, sharp as a tack. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's with it and she's there for you. So, uh, yeah, hit up Kelsey. Love it. Holiday markets launched. You might be hearing this when it might be a bad time to hear this. It might be a bad time to hear this. However, if you haven't been to shoptheh.com, Hazelmeyer Goods, Mm -hmm. we've got things there for you. Mm -hmm. And we work really hard to find awesome stuff for people. So go check that out. Everything from coffee to mugs to sourdough tools to tea, get on there, soap. We got you covered. Mm -hmm. Home goods, all things. Shoptheh.com. Hazelmarkgoods.com, both work. Mm-hmm. Homegrown Education has resources for you as well. Mm-hmm. Educational stuff, things to get you and your kids in the real food game. Mm-hmm. Check that out at homegrowneducation.org. If you like listening to us talk, you can check us out on Instagram as well. I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. Elizabeth is at Liz Hazelmeyer. And we also have homegrown underscore education and by we i mean elizabeth my name is on it but it ain't me let's be let's be uh, honest you're not running the account but you grace it's present grace it with your presence sometimes grace it with my presence meaning would i be a catch great you way to explain that on stories anyhow and until next time uh that's a wrap